Welcome to the Curious Creators Podcast, the place which allows you to explore your imagination, creativity, and listen to expert insights from the world of art and design. Welcome to the Curious Creators Podcast, sponsored by Wrexham Glendor University. I'm Steve Jarvis. And I'm Daniel Knox. Uh, today, joining the conversation is Emilio Hernandez, owner, CEO, and co-founder of Strom and Greenlight Alliance. Thanks for having me on. Lovely to be here. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, maybe you could start off with uh, just kind of a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and kind of what you're doing at the moment. Um, my partner and I set up uh, Strom about a year ago. We're, we're lighting designers, um, which is probably for anyone listening is a bit of a little known uh, design industry. But um, we we probably we both started up in light design about 15 years ago so we've been in the design and construction industry for for quite a long time now um and it it just seemed like the the right time about a year ago to to branch out uh, onto our own uh, venture and set up our own business so um maybe you can go back a bit and tell us what you did at university and how you got into lighting in in, in general <laughs> Yeah, that's a it's a good question, and uh, we spoke about this a couple of weeks back about the you know different routes into uh, you know the, the designers take from university and where they uh, where they get led to, and um, you know I, there's not a huge number of people that would think of getting into lighting design or finishing a design degree, and, and I studied product design at Nottingham Trent uh, with that's how I know yourself, Dan, and. Uh, in sort of graduating, you know, a long time ago now in 2005, uh, there are a lot of jobs going back then. It was a sort of booming economy. And we had learned various bits of software, uh, you know, 3D modeling was was kind of quite a big, um, big part of our course, really, and quite a, a relatively new skill back then. And um, there was a job in in the construction design industry that needed 3D modeling. It needed visualizations for uh, for interior designers, and uh, it, it was a case of of just applying what I'd learned at uni into that sector. Um, and it was quite hard to get a job straight directly into product design at the time. Uh, you know, we were looking at companies like DL and Powell and and Tom Dixon and you know those big brand names, and we had no connections, and and there wasn't this this sort of vast social network of um, you know things like LinkedIn and and you know, ways of, of reaching out to employers that you have today. So it was a question of scouring the market and in a more traditional way to to see what jobs are available. I, I remember back in the day, yeah, you were the one of the first of kind of our group of friends to graduate because we all did, I think, placement years where you you kind of you didn't you went straight into industry. And I remember, yeah, I remember you getting offered the first job in lighting, and I was a bit like. I, yeah, kind of. I didn't know that was a, a route you could take. Um, yeah, like you say, you kind of certainly back then it was like if you weren't working for the big companies, kind of in my eyes, it felt like you were a bit of a failure. But there's yeah. lots of other avenues you can take, aren't there? And that's kind of a route that you took. There's, there's loads of avenues, and if you look at lighting design now, there's there's people that come from all sorts of different backgrounds: graphic design, um, interior design, uh, theatre, uh, and architecture, and product design, and and it's. Um, it's a great melting pot, and the the great thing about uh, you know, when you when you come out of your degree, and and we did an apply what you'd call an applied degree, uh, so there was a sort of you know, job at the end of it. It wasn't you know European politics or art history where it, you know you need to to look at how that can be applied to a career in the future. 
But uh, I think you know we were all taking it quite literally at the time in terms of what we thought would be a successful uh, sort of outcome from that. But uh, I, I'd sort of like to, I suppose, give anyone listening who's who's embarking on a design course some confidence that, that there are other ways sort of you know you can you can think a bit laterally about about your career afterwards um and, and if you're you know you mentioned graphic designers when we spoke previously about some of the different courses that that you know that can be done uh, at glenda uni and uh you know you wouldn't necessarily think as a graphic designer oh i'll move into the lighting sector or into construction or architecture but but they need graphic designers um and there's you know you can get some great experience and some exposure to some really big clients through um through that route so it is quite an interesting um sort of direction to take really yeah and i think that really came up in the pandemic didn't it um there was yeah lots of kind of artists and designers that were saying that you know we're we are really important too and you know without us you know the things that you see around wouldn't be around such as leaflets and promotional material and things like that so transferable skills seems to be the big one at the moment doesn't it with especially with a lot of employers being able to use various different pieces of software and uh, going out and looking into those those routes yeah you don't you're not kind of one job yeah you, you may uh, study one job one you know subject but you may when you get into the world of work you do many more things don't you yeah, and if you work for a bigger employer, um, and you know whether it's uh, design or, or architecture or graphic design, you you might find yourself starting uh, at, at the bottom of a pile doing quite a menial task. And if you work for a, a lesser known uh, company or a smaller business, or you move into a sector that's like an emerging market that's um, you know that's not got the the same pull. Or draw that the, the bigger companies do, you can get exposed to a, a, you know a wider range of things. And certainly with a smaller company, you get exposed to lots of different um, types of challenge that that are a bit more diverse. And then you know you've done if you've been you've done a design degree, you've probably done three or four years of you know quite specific uh, design related things on the curriculum, but but you might not have. Uh, a grasp of you know putting a fee together for example or you might not be that familiar with uh, with marketing or how to brand your company uh, or the, you know or help push uh, you know business development and those are all skills you'll learn in a small company so the one of the things we we were really keen to to, to find out from yourself was uh, at university um, what kind of products did you design initially um, what was the first product you took to market yeah, that, that's um, interesting because when I when I look back at my portfolio, there were there were a couple of light fittings in there at, at, at university. But I, when I look back at my um, at what I designed, I probably that the sort of common thread in there was it was problem solving. So so most of the things I designed, I, I found a problem, um, and so instead of it being like a hugely creative uh, project, uh, it was probably more looking at solutions to issues. So so one of the one of the obvious ones that I saw when I was at uni, because I got a lot of parking fines, was how annoying and difficult it was to use parking meters. It's almost like you're set up to fail. Um, and, you know, even even sort of text to park or, you know, finding the right change or this, the user experience through through the, the meters. Um, so we kind of, I sort of unpicked that and, and looked at, you know, the steps in that journey and how they could be made a bit easier. Um, and I think... Uh, 
now I look at, you know, sort of lighting design. Um, again, most of the, the work that I do is that there is a creative aspect to it, which, which I'm very sort of enjoy, but a lot of what we do is problem solving. Um, and we, as a sort of, as a company now and, and the companies I worked for previously, we, we don't design a huge number of light fittings. Um, we, we more design light within a space. So we'll work with an architect or an interior designer to give a, a particular space that you, know, you go to a, a nicely lit restaurant or you, um, you know, you want to go to a, a, a well-lit office or, a, you know, you're a, an airport. They all have a certain feel to them, those spaces, and a lot of that is driven by the uh, the, the interior finishes and, and the volume of the space. But lighting is, is a huge part of how you experience that. We see, you know, everything we see, we see through light. So, um, you know, it doesn't probably hurt you. It doesn't give you a, a huge sense of, of particular products I've answered um, or design, sorry, but um, hopefully it gives you a sense as to like how, how I approach design. Is there any, um, is there any spaces that maybe you've worked on that we might know of? I remember you did some traveling to kind of Dubai and um, a few of the places in, in Europe and things. Is there any spaces yeah. that I know of? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, one, probably the, the sort of most prestigious projects I've been involved in is the, the UN headquarters in, in Geneva. So that, that's, that was a kind of three-year project. Um, the UN as an organisation was started in the uh, sort of early 50s and uh, money was poured in from different countries. It was post-war and it was uh, World War II and it was, um, you know, a very kind of much more utopian view on society and, and how we can all collaborate. And, and as a building, it's, uh, you know, it's it's quite um, impressive and, and um, very kind of, um, sort of optimistic space to be. And they, but, you know, but 50 years on, the whole building needed a refit and it's, it's a vast space. And so it took, it took kind of three years for us to unpick what could be reused and, uh, and what couldn't and, and, you know, where, where the design had, had come along or lighting technology had come on and we could completely rethink how we were lighting certain spaces. Um, but we've also, I've, I've been involved in things like Hard Rock Hotel brand and, uh, working with Nike, if you you know look at the um, Nike and Oxford Circus, which um, you know retail is quite an interesting place for light and, and design because you can be quite creative and quite quite bold with what you're doing. That's really interesting. So, is there anything uh, which 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 one would you pick out of all of those as the standout piece that you are absolutely like? I'm dead proud of this. This is what I did. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, there's a development in uh, in Chelsea, in London, called Chelsea Barracks, um, and it's a it, it was as the name suggests, it was a, it was an old barracks um, right opposite where the Chelsea Flower Show takes place, and it had been sort of sort of fallow really, and and, and not used for about fifteen years, um, and then about five years ago, uh, five or six years ago now. Uh, a development started there to kind of build uh, a new part of Chelsea, really, and to be involved in in sort of three acres of of um, property development. So, so, as a company, we designed all the street lighting, all of the building lighting, the facade lighting for everything there. And and for me, it's a place that it was built in a sort of traditional uh, because there's lots of traditional London townhouses in that area, and so the the architects were quite keen to sort of replicate that in a contemporary way. And what I like about it is they built something that's going to last for, you know, hopefully a hundred plus years. And it's a whole new, 
uh, set of streets and, and uh, public spaces that you can walk through and experience in London. Uh, and, and I feel, uh, you know, quite kind of proud that, that, you know, that hopefully will be there for a long time and that, that it's something that everyone can enjoy. That sounds amazing. So definitely recommend listeners to to check that out. The you mentioned that you 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 worked for various different lighting companies before um, you took the plunge um, to start Shrom. What was the reason for that? Why did you want to go off on your own and do your own thing? Yeah, well, um, for, for, there's two two or three reasons really. Um, we both my partner and I we worked for a larger company and. Um, it had its own culture and it had its own um, direction and it's quite hard to change the culture of a company from from within Uh, and that's not a criticism of of the business I just think that that people are quite habitual and when they join a company and it has a certain culture um, then then they either join because of that culture or they adapt to that quite quickly and it's quite hard to change um, habits or to change priorities And, and our priority was becoming focused around sustainability and the environment and and building growth a bit more organically and because it was a large company it was a bit more focused on you know trying to win the next project and uh, trying to work on uh, more marketable projects so projects that were quite uh, quite maybe impressive or you know that, that had a, a big name architect or a big name client like you know selfridges or um or nike as i mentioned before so that um you know, they could draw in more business. Um, and whilst they they did have one eye on sustainability, we we wanted uh, that to be the core of what we did. Um, and I think the pandemic helped us, you know, realise after working at home for a year that we could achieve, we could do our job without having a big office, um, you know, without necessarily having a huge number of staff because we'd been working in this remote way for a while. Having said that, we have obviously, you know, as you, I showed you, we, we, we do have an office. I think it's quite an important sort of part of, of work, but it doesn't have to be somewhere you spend your whole time every day necessarily. Um, and uh, and I think the only way we could do that was to start our own, uh, take the plunge and start our own company. And it's been a big learning curve. So what's been your, your, your kind of proudest moment so far? Uh, just, yeah, just setting question. up in general. Yeah. I think we were we were quite happy. It's been little, lots of little victories. Um, just remind me how long it's been. Um, when, when so we've been we've been running now for just over a year, and uh, probably the hardest part was coming up with with a name. We're based in in Sweden, and Strom is a Swedish word for current, so electrical current. Um, the same as it means in English, a bit of sort of duality of, of meaning, the flow of things. Companies uh, current as in current affairs, and. Um, we, we didn't want it to be, you know, to have our name on the door because it wasn't really about us. Um, and, you know, there's a sort of natural connection with the word current. And we wanted to, you know, our focus is on the environment, our focus is on sustainability. Um, and, you know, it gives the company a bit of flexibility to be any number of things so it can grow in different directions, which, again, was important for us because whilst we knew we wanted to focus on the environment, we didn't know exactly what direction uh, the company is going to take. And I think you need to be a little bit flexible about that. Um, But then along the way, there's been victories, you know, choosing an office, um, you know, winning our first project, uh, delivering our first project. Um, And and as it only being a year old, we've only worked on about 12, you know, 12 or so 
um, projects and we've got a few on the books at the moment and we're we're trying to you know we're always on the lookout for new for new work but we want to grow organically you know we're not we're not doing a huge marketing push we haven't got you know venture capitalist funding and we're trying to do this under our own steam so you touched on sustainability quite a lot then so maybe you can give us a bit of an insight into um what impact kind of lighting is having on the planet um and maybe kind of what are any other lighting designers or companies doing anything that similar to you or what they should be and is it enough yeah it's great great question i mean lighting is um you know, if you, if you look at any building, about twenty percent of the energy that that building uses is is um, in use. Energy is is from lighting, the rest being probably heating, cooling, uh, and other you know small power things like that. So, um, you know, un- unlike a, a chair or a piece of furniture or you know anything else with a with a, a building design, the, the the most amount of energy in those things is in the production of them and getting them to site. And then they don't tend to use a lot of energy when they're when they're in position. Whereas light fittings, uh, they're constantly consuming energy, and um, so efficiency and and you know being really considerate about how much light we use and where we put it is a big part of that. Um, but also, uh, you know, there's a lot of waste in our industry. And um, last year alone, uh, you know, the lighting industry probably generated. Um, you know, somewhere in the region of half a million tons in, in the UK alone of waste, light fixtures, things that are reached end of their life and been disposed of. Um, and the, the problem is we've been to visit these, you know, the waste facilities, the places that these materials are taken to be, you know, sort of recycled in inverted commas. And a lot of it isn't recycled. A lot of materials are, you know, recycling plastic means it's incinerated and that's classified as recycling. A lot of it goes to landfill, um, only about sort of seven to 10% of, of, materials that are recycled or actually make it back into the material stream um again yeah, i can imagine that yeah when you start a new project a you know, big new shiny building a shopping center or a shop or something that yeah they don't the, the drive to use used uh fixings or you know isn't probably top of the list is it it, it's not, and, it, and it's um, you know it, it, it's an education. It's a matter of education, really. And you know, we, we receive briefs as any designer does. You, you you're lucky to you're happy to win a project, and then you go, you have your first day on the job, and you you look at the brief, and the brief uh, will obviously give you information on on the program, the budget, and obviously the deliverables, what they're looking to achieve, what would be a successful project. Um, but as a designer, I think it's really important to question the brief and to um, to clarify certain things. And we are quite committed to questioning. You know, would you accept remanufactured products, uh, re you know upcycled materials? Um, you know, do you really need to like this particular thing? Which you know kind of sounds like we're putting ourselves out of work, but we can do that because we're in control of of our own company. Um, if if you're working for a bigger company and you start saying, well, do you actually need lighting at all in the first place? Maybe you shouldn't really, um, you know, you shouldn't really like this particular piece of art or this particular space. Um, then, uh, you know, you're kind of doing yourself out of the job and, and that doesn't go down too well with, with management. So, you know, that's, that's been the, the sort of the benefit of being by ourselves but there are other companies like other designers and other manufacturers that are really keen on um on the environment and and what we like to focus on which is the circular economy so bringing products back into circulation before they get recycled or or end up in landfill 
And um, and that's why we've set up a, you know, at the same time as setting up Strom, we've uh, been part of this group called Greenlight Alliance. And, and uh, that's an, essentially a collection of um, uh, about you know, 15 designers and manufacturers who are all kind of brainstorming and pooling ideas to see how we can sort of shape the industry a bit better and make it a bit more sustainable. So that's one of the questions we've got for you is, is the difference between Greenlight and Strom? Um, yeah, well, so, so Strom's like a, a design house, if you like. We're, we're a, a business venture. Um, Greenlight Alliance at the moment is a, a sort of, it's a, a voluntary group of people who are trying to educate and, um, you know, raise awareness of the need for uh, circular economy and sustainability. And, and obviously, we're working with competitors, uh, or, you know, you would consider competitors, but um, the sharing of, of environmental sort of learnings and, and uh, you know, sustainable practices, um, that doesn't, in, in our view, put you at a disadvantage. So, so, yeah, if you share certain, you know, intellectual property that you've worked hard to achieve, then, um, you know, that's, that's probably commercial suicide. But when it comes to the environment, it's, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a race to, to improve our practices as quickly as possible um, and to make, you know, to make design, sustainable design, the status quo. And uh, that, that has to happen as, you know, we're running out of time for that. So we need to work together and we need to be uh, a bit more impartial about it. So a bit of, just after a bit of advice really for, for obviously domestic people who, who light in their home, whatever else, is there any advice that you would give to people uh, about what kind of bulbs or lighting that they should use in their own homes or? Yeah, that's, that's, um, I mean, the, 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 uh, the way that a lot of people look at energy saving um, probably over the last 10 years is they'll think of those energy saving bulbs that give out a kind of really miserable, pathetic light. And uh, they, you know, the, the quality of light is terrible. And, you know, the, the um, you know, they don't really see a huge amount of saving on the bill. And, and another sort of issue with those types of energy saving lights is they're a lot harder to recycle than an old fashioned tungsten bulb, which was a bit of glass and a bit of tungsten metal, very easy to recycle, whereas compact fluorescent lamps or energy saving lamps are a lot harder to uh, to break up and they've got phosphors in them and electronics. Um, but my probably my, my recommendation would be to slowly migrate over to something like LED. So pick the room in the house that you're in the most, uh, look at, uh, you know, the type of lamp or the type of bulb that it takes and uh, and and shop around and spend a bit of money on that one uh, lamp. So you're probably looking at five, 10 pounds for a good LED replacement of, of uh, a conventional light. But um, I, would, I would buy quality and buy less and, and use it in the locations like your kitchen or your living room where you spend the most amount of time rather than just doing a wholesale um, you know, LED replacement maybe as a lamp goes or a bulb, um, you know, pops in the house and you think, right, well, I'm going to replace that. Um, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Uh, and uh, and yeah, have, have a look at, at companies that do it. And, and, you know, we could perhaps, I could send some links uh, that you could put on, on uh, put out with the podcast that, that uh, would direct people to sort of some quality, uh, you know, LED light sources rather than just going to B&Q and, and seeing what they've got on the shelves. 
Absolutely, yeah, we would definitely um, promote that because we, we, we are very big on sustainability and it's something that we're trying to promote as well as part of everything that we do. Um, in terms of like things like, like I know Philips Hue have come out with the, um, you can turn lights on and off with Alexa and whatever else. Is that something we should avoid or is it something that we should use that's more... No, I mean, one of the questions we get asked is, you know, is this all a bit of a killjoy? Like, you know, being sustainable, does it mean that that everything has to be, you know, a bit drab and, and a bit less? I mean, Philips Hue lamps, the, the, the great thing about them is that you can put them on timers and you can, you know, you can turn lights off remotely and, um, you know, you don't have to leave a light on. You know, if you go away for the, the weekend and you want a bit of security in the house, you don't have to leave a light on all, all you know, the whole time. Um and they offer some great interactivity. So I wouldn't I wouldn't advise steering clear of those. But what I would say is that in any electronic device that you buy um, is, is when it does come to the end of its life, uh, to dispose of it responsibly. And uh, it, it's so easy for us to buy, um, you know, products off Amazon and, uh, you know, online at IKEA. But it's not as straightforward as as you would hope to work out how to responsibly dispose of them. Um, and there's a, a, a government organisation called the WE Directive, uh, and you know there's there's recycling banks up and down the country and and lots of places like um, you know Waitrose and and uh, you know supermarket chains will actually take back your used light fittings and, and other electric devices, but they don't really advertise it very much, but they are obliged to do it. So um, just try to avoid just putting things in the, in the bin or, or a, the wrong recycling container because that's a, a really important first step. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, we're also keen to get back on and sort of sidetracked just a little bit talking about um, home lighting and getting some advice on it's, you know, we've got a lighting expert, so <laughs> let's utilize that. Um, so, Let's, I wanted to go back to the, the talking about the business. What was been the hardest part of starting your own venture? I know you mentioned about branding and everything else, but has there only been anything that's sort of really, if somebody would have told me that, I would have been much appreciated. Well, yeah, I mean, we're starting, we started a company in our late 30s with with 15 years experience. And, and I think the approach that we've taken is... Um, it's sort of very we're trying to be very responsible and very uh, authentic um and I, I would try to see that, that there's lots of um uh important reasons you know we've you know we, we pay for insurances we pay for our licenses um you know like i said we've, we've got our own premises and, and all of those are important things but if you're starting out perhaps um with less experience, but you come straight from uni or a master's and, and you know what you want to do and you want to work for yourself. Probably the biggest um, tip uh, and the most useful bit of advice we've had is to keep your costs low um, and to have a, a kind of cost plan and a business plan. So, and by that, I mean, look at what your outgoings are going to be uh, for not just, you know, how you're going to pay for yourself to you know to live but also things like you know hardware server space software um and try and break that up over the course of the year and and look at how that how that looks so that you don't find yourself getting unstuck six to eight months in when you're just starting to get traction but you all of a sudden find you've got some bills to pay 
and it puts you it gives you fewer choices you know we we've actually looked at a few months in because we, we moved to a new market to sweden um so even though we had a lot of experience and, and um, contacts not we didn't really have those in this in this area and, and we did consider like you know throwing the towel in at six months and perhaps working for a bigger company that does you know similar types of design that we do but we'd be an employee and we wouldn't have to do it all ourselves but um thankfully because we'd you know we'd, we were living quite lean uh, for the first year and probably the first couple of years you'll need to be quite quite lean with with how you do you know, a few holidays and you know fewer haircuts by you know fewer new clothes but um if you keep a lid on all of that then uh, it, it kind of buys you a few more months and it enabled us to sort of break through to the other side where it starts to sort of wash its own face if you like it's great advice um i often wonder how how do companies like you how do you start you know so you, you leave a job with a with a salary and then you you move to a different country should you, what do you do do you have like a bank of um, a year's salary in your account to allow you to survive for the first couple of years or how does it work how do you survive yeah i mean you know if you're, if you're in somewhere like london and uh, you know you probably need 25 grand just to kind of get you through a year and uh, you know that's a bit daunting um uh, i agree with that i mean i suppose again if you if you've got a, we, we planned before we left we did save some money um we did cut our outgoing so anything we didn't you know we looked at what we needed and that can include you know your sort of spotify and and your um you know your different subscriptions that you've got and you, you realize you both got gym memberships and you know you're paying a bit more for your phone than you need and things like that so so we did consolidate a lot of that down quite quickly uh, we had actually a, a what you call it a financial health check so we spoke to an advisor who asked us, you know, what's your goal for year one? What's your goal for year five? And uh, and, and actually, I mean, I can't really recommend that enough. It's it's probably a few hundred pounds uh, to, to have that type of, you know, a few sessions with the financial advisor. So what do they do? They give you advice of things you can do in order to get to your year five? Exactly. How to save, um, you know, options for finance, because it's not just what you've got in the piggy bank. You can talk to the bank. If you've got a good business plan, you can get a loan. Um, and we are, at the moment, we're self-financed, as in, you know, we did because we, we we moved to Sweden, where actually the cost of living, not just because we're in Sweden, but because we're outside of a major city, is a lot lower. Um and we had saved up some money. Uh, you know, we're, we're, at the moment we're doing this self-finance, but we do have a plan B, which is to speak to the bank. And we do have a record of trading now of, of you know, just under a year, um, which and a business plan. And and you know, the, the banks will um, will loan against that, and they will, uh, you know, they will they will consider you on a case by case basis. Um, and and ultimately, if it's not a sustainable. Um, business model like you know we're not just playing at design like we need to find clients we need to um, find uh, find work and, and any anyone setting out by themselves in design will do then um, you know if it's not a viable business then it's probably best that uh, it folds early rather than you getting into uh, a lot of financial trouble so um, but I wouldn't say don't do it you know it some people do it because they're brave. Some people do it because they can't see themselves working for anyone else. Um, and others because they just want to try something new. And, 
you know, I wouldn't say don't try it. I would just say plan, plan for it. And don't just hope for the best when it comes to finances, actually, you know, do your homework. Has it been, uh, has it been really stressful, you know, working for big companies, you know, you know, can be stressful. How, how does the stress levels compare from working, you know, the place in London that you did compared to what you do now? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the, the work-life balance is so much better now. Um, you know, we, we had uh, a salary bill alone of sort of, you know, 70,000 pounds a month. There were 30, 30 designers. Um, and, you know, when you look at the projects that you've got coming in, you, you know, you really need to invoice a lot of work and you would need to win a lot of work. And, and my job was predominantly um, working on the business uh, rather than designing. Um, as, a, as a director there. And if you're self-employed, you will find that, you, you know, you're going to spend probably a third of your time is going to be spent working on the business and, and, and you know, then the rest will, will vary between uh, that and an actual design work. But, um, you know, there is a lot of comfort in being a sort of mid-weight designer in a bigger company because you are really focused on design and, and you get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of time to focus on on the process of design, but the more junior you are and the more senior you are, you spend less time actually designing things and, and a lot more time on either admin if you're a junior, um, and more menial tasks, which is, you know, sort of cutting your teeth. And if you're a director or senior, you're, you know, you're, you're more strategic. Um, but working for yourself is, we, we don't need to win that many jobs to keep ourselves going. Um, and that's, you know, that's been, a bit stressful because you know the phone is quiet sometimes, and you know we are we have had you know we've been in the middle of a bit of a recession because of COVID, but um, but then you have a flurry of calls and and you're busy for three months. Um, so yeah, I, um, for me the balance is is better. I think it's about yeah taking a step back and realizing what's important to you. And um, you mentioned that you have yeah the your downtime is is much greater now, which is good you know compared to maybe back in London. Yeah, and, and there's there's guilt free things you know I mean. Um, you know, over the summer, it was a really nice afternoon and I didn't have a deadline. I could just go out for a bike ride for, you know, for an hour and, and, and make the most of it. Whereas I would have, um, felt like I was moonlighting if I was doing that before. And, uh, you know, I did, I did have sort of autonomy and, and freedom in my last job, which, um, which was enjoyable, but, but there was a lot of responsibility to make sure that, that there was work coming in and, um, there wasn't really much breathing space, um, you know, in between time. So. Yeah, this is a good balance. That's well, been you've given us some really good advice so far. How's the? I mean, so far, like, like you're not going to give us more good advice. Um, so now for the bad advice. <laughs> now for the bad advice. Um, so yeah, to, in terms of starting a business in pandemic, some people might think, "Wow, you, you're crazy." Um, would you say it has helped the pandemic, or is it? Is what would you? What advice would you yeah. give to people starting? Now? We read quite a lot about this, and actually, I mean, a lot of a lot of companies start out of uh, out of a recession and the pandemic was a recession it was just driven by different factors um but really if you think about it you've got nothing to lose uh if if things are you know already at, at the sort of bottom of the market if you like um and so there's really good opportunities to be had if you're looking at starting a company now uh, on rental uh, on, uh, you know, deals with, uh, you know, it could be hardware or software, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the people that supply businesses are vying for 
you know, your work or your, your custom. And, um, you know, we got a good deal on, uh, you know, some refurbished laptops. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of, you know, unfortunately one of the, the outcomes of, of COVID is means that there's lots of companies that, that didn't survive it. Um, you know, all of their, um, you know, their desks and their hardware are going to be, you know, for want of a better word up for grabs. And, and so there's some really good deals to be had, um, and hopefully uh, the market's going to be at least for a period of time on an upward trend uh, if, if we're already, you know, uh, at the bottom because of the pandemic. And so we plan for the worst and hopefully uh, things will be the best. Whereas if you start, you know, a, a really boom time uh, in terms of the economy, then again, you know, things do happen in cycles and you need to plan for that. And I, and I have seen that in the 15 years, you know, we've seen two pretty big dips in the market that have resulted in, you know, having to make some uh, some people redundant, which has been a really painful process. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the phone's sort of stopping ringing. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of part of it, really, when, when you're managing people. That's great. Thank you, Emilio. It's been, um, yeah, re- really good to chat to you. I've slightly grim no to end on. But. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's reality, isn't it? And it's just, just getting that, um, you know, like, like you mentioned there about when we're looking at this, sustainability and things like that is, um, you know, upcycling, reusing things that people are not using anymore. And, and it is a negative note, but at the moment we sort of, we're all living in this sort of post-pandemic world so we need to see the light at the end of the tunnel and let you see that growth after the the dip is well I, I like i like that link that you've made and, and and actually you know there are some really um there's there are some businesses that are really capitalizing on this and and putting an optimistic spin on it you know they are they're taking all of these um unwanted materials you know 30 30 desks and you know 20 desk lamps and uh, 30 chairs can become a, a bit of a a noose around your neck when you're vacating your premises and things are quite, you know, so, so what happens to them is probably not a big concern of yours if everything else is going, going south, but there's companies out there that are really trying to make it easy to, you know, to get some value back from those products and then to give those products a second life and make it, you know, and that's the circular economy. And, and it's, you know, hopefully it doesn't have to be because of those reasons, you know, it can be sort of more positive reasons that people reuse products. Are you, are you finding that, uh, people are coming to you or, or Strom because of your kind of ethos and things like that, or is it is it a bit too early to say? Yeah, we, we've had a couple. We've had a, a couple of clients here that have come to us for that reason, and we we joined um, you know networking groups that are focused on you know, within construction that are focused on on sustainability, um, and and ultimately that's our goal. We, we want clients and we want to work with project managers and architects who who's focus is sustainability not it being like a tick box exercise at the end of at the end of the design stage and um and that's again that's why we set up by ourselves because th- there might not be a huge number of those out there at the moment but we see it as a, as a growing market and everyone we ask about it is is genuinely interested in it i suppose the question is you know when, when it comes to you know to the slightly longer Pro, um, production cycles because you know it's not something that's already off the shelf it's something you might need to find or refurbish and that takes a bit of time um, are they willing to commit to that um, you know within that program um, but I think we, we are starting to see that and the more we do it the more used to it people will get 
So we're, we've taken up quite a bit of your time now. We've, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. So what's left now is just to thank you um, for your time. Um, thank our listeners to for listening to the Curious Creative Creatives podcast sponsored by Rex and Glindo University. Uh, I've been your one of your hosts, Steve Jarvis. And myself, Daniel Knox. Um, with our guest, Emilio Hernandez, owner, CEO, co-founder of Strom and Greenlight Alliance. Certainly go and check them out on their website. We've got um, lightingbystrom.com and greenlight-alliance.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. If you've enjoyed today's discussion, don't forget to follow this podcast for free on your podcast app of choice and avoid missing out on any future panel discussions. Keep up to date with us via social media at Art Design Wales. And we will see you next time.